So one thing that I really love about y'all being in co-facilitation with you at certain events, also just hanging out with y'all is there is this sweet tenderness of how you hold space for other people and also for yourself that is inspiring to me, mm-hmm. uh, at least from the outside that I can see, um, where there's like this soul level, like trust and in it together. And you just, I don't know if it's like, you just get each other. Like, I don't know. Do y'all want to speak on that? Like what that <laughs> is, you know what I'm talking about? Because I see it clearly. Yeah. Well, I think, um, a lot of it has come from our, the spaces we've journeyed together, whether it be like a medicine space or a non-medicine space, or just traversing our partnership. Um, Scott always says the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And so I think that there's also a tenderness that we developed in our partnership through, trust me, a lot of ups and downs and highs and lows and, and long down, long, what, what is that saying? Like drag down fights or something like that. You know what I'm talking about? Like <laughs> yeah. we, we really navigated, um, the, the places where there have been sharp edges in our partnership, or mm-hmm. there have been, you know, um, ways in which I, I avoid, or I leave right. And ways in which, so I, if, if we look at like, um, I forget the name of it, but it's like anxious avoidant. And then you've got like the anxious, um, attachment. I'm definitely the avoidant in the relationship and Scott's definitely the attachment in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And even today we had like a slight little breakdown, we'll call it right. Where one of us gets triggered and then we kind of get into this like trigger trigger moment where we go back and forth and we can totally talk about triggers here, um, and how we navigate them in our partnership. But even in that breakdown, right, we've learned and are still learning and still peeling back the layers of how do we come back together and create safety, even in the moments where we may feel dysregulated or we may feel outside of uh, of a comfort zone um, and still be able to look at each other and share from an honest space, but also do it from the energy of compassion and unconditional love in the space of I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here and I'm not going anywhere, which I think is a lot of what we bring into the work we do with other people and together in those spaces is, you know, there's nothing you could say to me that would ever make me go anywhere, you know, and that, that thread is what we have really deepened into in our own partnership. Mm. That's allowed for, I think more of that, that tenderness to come through because there's safety that's being, that's being built here. Yeah. And there's, there's a saying that God speaks to us in between the reaction and the response. Mm-hmm. And we give ourselves enough grace in between the initial reaction and then to, to allow ourselves to feel and then to either, if, it's, if it is that trigger, to do our work. But to, the thing is, like I, I, my biggest fear was being left and always has been being left. And it was one of these things where I was so perpetually afraid of that. And it was in and through the comfort of this relationship, like even coming into the relationship, sadly, like I didn't love myself when I started this relationship. Mm. Like I didn't know how to love myself, but it was in and through, which is ass backwards. Cause typically you love yourself completely and then you find your partner and then you guys work together. 
I came in without even knowing, without even loving. And it was her completion that even taught me how to become complete. And then in that become these two engines that are firing where I now I'm like, holy shit, if we weren't going to end up together, I'm okay with that because I love her so much as an individual that I want what's best for her more than I even just like, I don't want what's best for me, but it can't be that unless we both are choosing it at the same time together. Right. And how did you cultivate that? I'm not going anywhere. Safety. (laughs) Really? Well, doing a lot of this trigger work, which actually Mm. we were lucky enough to have found this couple who had a business out in um, the Los Angeles area called Conscious Partnership Coaching. We Mm. were about, I don't know, maybe six months out from getting married. And we'd already been together almost four years at that point. And I remember looking at Scott and I said, you know, if we don't get support, we're going to be divorced in a year. Which is what every guy who's engaged wants to hear from the yep. <laughs> <laughs> So I said, Let, let's let's find some support. And you know, Scott was like, "Well, we gotta we gotta go. It's gotta be a tr- licensed therapist. You know, we gotta whatever." He had all these stipulations. Yeah, you got. He's like, I've been to a therapist. I want. I didn't want someone off the street who's like, "I'm a fucking coach. I got this shit." I'm like, I want to see your fucking resume. Now we're coaches. By now the we're way. coaches. Yeah. <laughs> we weren't though at the time. We were both in acting, and um, mm. I got on Yelp and I found this couple, and it was called <laughs> Conscious Partnership Coaching. And I went, "These are our people," and we weren't even like. You know, we weren't, we were, I was always spiritual. I was always doing meditation. I was always, you know, but, but, but I wasn't what, what you would say awake quite yet. Mm. You know, I Mm. hadn't really understood the difference between my thoughts and myself, right. Or, or that I'm not my thoughts, right. I was very much operating from um, ego self. And so, but I still found resonance with this couple and um, we ended up hiring them for about four or five months. And they really taught us a methodology, um, which asks you to investigate your triggers in partnership. Um, because you know, one of the things a mentor always said to me was you're never in relationship with the other person. You're only ever in relationship with yourself and they're just your mirrors. So what we found is that the triggers and the trigger work was really the breadcrumbs to our own soul's liberation through connection and union and partnership. Mm. Um, and trust me, there were a lot of fucking triggers, which is the worst. Cause the last thing you want to do when you're like, I'm activated is be like, it's mine. Yeah. Like that's mine. I have to shoot off this red flare gun and be like, this is the spot where this is <laughs> me. I just want to point it at you. Like, right. And what do they say? Right. They say when you're pointing at somebody else, you have three other fingers pointing back at yourself. Mm-hmm. And so um, this work really asked us to investigate ourselves and take responsibility for our own mm-hmm. emotional experience, which I think a lot of partnerships are lacking, right? Like, we want to make the other person wrong, but really what's happening is we're projecting our own fears onto our partner. And, um, what happens is we get triggered, right? So maybe Scott makes a comment. Um, he could say, um, something like, 
I'll give a, I'll give a real example. This was a while back when I was like just starting my coaching business. He was like, well, you're not a very good coach or something like that. I've said stupid I, shit too before Scott. I, yep. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's and okay. I was like, of course, deeply triggered. <laughs> yeah. And, but this work requires you to look at, okay, well, what is that asking me to look at within myself? Right. So, um, we also really love the work of uh, this woman, Byron Katie, mm-hmm. and she always talks about, right. Thoughts only hurt if you believe them. So there was most likely at that time, because I was so new to the industry and new to the work, there was probably a part of me that wasn't really sure I was a very good coach, you know? And so that part of me was being activated, the part that maybe felt insecure or not good enough. And what the questions ask you to do is to look at the situation from a very, um, initially a, a, like a pragmatic viewpoint, right? Like factually, do you want to talk through the steps? Um, sure. Yeah. So step one with the trigger work is what, what happened, Right. like factually Mm -hmm. what happened, not your interpretation of it, but just like, did this happen? Then this happened. Then this happened. Then this happened. Right. Like we were walking down the street with our dog. I said this. And then Scott said this, right? Period. That's it. it. Actually there's, you can, it's not about interpreting the moment, which oftentimes is immediately what we'll, we'll go to, right. Is Mm -hmm. well, but what he really meant was, you know, you you could say, and then Scott kicked a tire. Like if that actually happened, you'd say (laughs) that I don't know, but in this analogy, (laughs) so you're taking the, you're not, you're not hitting at the emotions or, or maybe you are, maybe that is a, a point, but no, you're not the, hitting at the, the interpretation. It's it. just the facts. Got it. Yeah, okay. Just the facts. And then the second step is what did you make that mean? Right? So Got it. our minds are a meaning making machine. And mm-hmm. so we're designed to make meaning of everything. And so immediately what our brain goes to do is interpret the situation in front of us. So Scott might've said, well, you're not a very good coach. And maybe he was just feeling upset or wounded, right? So he's coming from his wounding and then operating from that space. And then I'm receiving that from my wounding and immediately making it mean, well, I'm not good enough, right? So then my interpretation of that scenario would be, I'm not good enough or I'm not enough, right? Whatever that that story is. Um, so that's the second question. The third question. What was your reaction? How did you react? I kicked mm-hmm. the tire. I outlashed. I went within. I brooded. I called a friend. I screamed. Whatever, whatever the action was. Right. Or I got defensive and I withdrew. And so mm-hmm. most of us, right, have usually a formulaic way of reacting to situations. I'm much more of a either get defensive and withdraw or lashing out in anger. Um, Scott is a little bit more, how would you say, what would you say your sort of reaction, typical reaction would have been? Would have been in the past victim. Yeah. That victim mentality, be like, this is happening. Uh, Oh, I need to comfort and everything else. And this is happening to, I can't believe. Yeah. Yeah. Very victim um, mentality. So it's always then just looking at, okay, what was my reaction? So what were the facts? What did I make that mean? Or what was my interpretation? And then what was my reaction? And then the fourth question is feeling. Yep. So investigating the feeling underneath the reaction. So, um, 
How did you react? And then what was the feeling underneath the reaction? So that feeling for you in that interpretation would, if I said that to you, you're not a very good coach, then the feeling underneath would be worth. Yeah. Or like for me, you know, it's like maybe my reaction is to get defensive and lash out in anger, but underneath that it's hurt and sadness or maybe feeling rejected. So the emotion for me would be judged. feeling rejected. And then the emotion would be hurt or sadness versus anger is the reaction. So there's always, and typically in a lot of the work that, that I do, or that even we do with clients is always understanding that there's going to be, um, what we call a protector, which is usually our outward facing reactions to any given situation. And then underneath that protector is usually a very sad, wounded inner child that um you know hides underneath the the protection of that that outlash or the defensiveness or the shutting down whatever that is so what we have to do is we have to understand that while i may have gotten angry that's really just the protection for the emotions that i'm truly experiencing if i really slow it down and listen to what's going on inside of myself so already in four questions you're being asked to look at Mm. you the part you played in the conversation Mm. right so even though He may have been the one that said the thing that triggered the thing, right? I have to take responsibility for how I received what he said, because that's not on him. That's on me. And that can be really, really confronting in partnership when all you want to do is point the finger at the other person. And so then the fifth question, which is the, the kicker of them all says, when is the first time you can ever remember feeling that way? Similar to like hitting an emotional funny bone and it reverberates back into your core. Then you just trace that vibration back to the first time that it ever got stumped on your toe emotionally, so to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in that scenario, what I might, I might go back to a childhood memory, you know, and sometimes, and you may be trying this practice at home, um, which I highly recommend, but you may go back to a, a college memory, right? Or a high school memory. Don't judge the memories that the subconscious is wanting to reveal to you. There may just not be enough safety you've created around the practice yet to allow you to go all the way back to the beginning. Um, So work with a memory that's coming up. But nine times out of 10, the memory is going to land somewhere between your birth and seven years old, which is the time in which um, our subconscious is creating. I just knocked him in the face. It's perfect. Is the time in which, right, we were imprinted, we get imprinted on our subconscious, our beliefs are formed. Um, And so usually the memory will land you somewhere in there for the first memory of when you felt this way. And so for me, it might have been a feeling, you know, the emotion might have been sadness, but the feeling might have been not enough. And so then I will sit there and I will go back in time in my memory and really reflect on, okay, when's the first time I can ever remember feeling like I wasn't enough or I wasn't doing enough. And for me, you know, oftentimes it just goes back to, um, you know, just a younger memory being, you know, maybe four or five, six years old. Um, oftentimes for me, it's connected to shame, right? Sometimes we can have shame around those, those memories and those spaces. And then the the power in this work is to come back into partnership, to come back together. So every time we're activated, as opposed to saying, I want to come to you right away and talk, it's saying, oh, I have to go do this work. I'm going to go all this work on myself. So it's almost like coming, doing homework and then bringing mm-hmm. the homework forward and saying, I've done my work. 
now I'm ready to share, but it's not like, Hey, Hey, here it is. Cause it's really exciting and you want to do that, but it's also learning the respect of the boundary too. So it's even coming to the partner saying, are you available and ready to hear something really sensitive? That's powerful on my heart. I would love to share with you because yes. even <laughs> in that magnitude, they might not have space for it then. And it's really learning the boundaries as to when, and if not, then when first are you available so we can go over this? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's an important piece in partnership, especially for the feminine, um, because we're operating in a very masculine, heavy society, and we've been doing so for thousands of years. And what's, what you're really doing, especially as the, the masculine in partnership in that way, if it's a male-female dynamic, is you're really coming to the feminine and asking for permission. And mm-hmm. so a lot of the, the, a lot of a woman's wounding, um, you know, it's ingrained in our cellular DNA. It's trauma from lifetimes, right? If you believe in reincarnation, which I do, but it's trauma we've carried through lifetimes of, um, you know, being, whether that be being abused or taken advantage of, or simply not being considered. Right. And so as the feminine part of the healing in that is really having the space to not only be asked permission, but to also give your consent, right? So the masculine can Mm -hmm. come to you and say, do you have space to, or do you have the capacity right now to have this conversation? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. for the feminine to say, yes, I do, or no, I don't. Right. And if it's a no, my advice would be to find another time where you can really schedule that in so that, because a lot of men are also healing from an abandonment wound, right? And so if we're just saying, no, I don't, which you're totally in your right to, but if we're just saying that, then we're not really meeting our partner in, you know, we're not really meeting in the middle of, 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 yes, he wants, he's asking for that permission. And then also honoring the consent piece as the feminine. Um, but talk through the, um, talk through that piece, right? Where you come back together in partnership so coming back together in into the partnership and then bringing this space in and saying this, because again, it's taking complete responsibility. The opposite side of, you know, the, the victim is the creator. It's taking 100% responsibility. And in partnership, it's not 50% one person and 50% the other person. Like Jerry Maguire really fucked that up for everyone because it really is, you don't complete me. It's I complete myself and I complete myself. And then we bring Mm -hmm. ourselves together. So in this it's owning that trigger. And when doing the homework, it's coming together and saying, when you do, and the permission is given, and then it's sitting down, it's really saying, going through the steps and saying, this is what happened. This is how I felt about it. Or this is what I made it mean. Like this was my reaction. This is how I felt about it. This is the first place that feeling came from, for me. This is the origin story of my pain and that type of pain. That's mine. That is not yours. That was a thorn in my skin that I haven't healed from yet. And that is, I take 100% responsibility for my pain. And thank you for showing me where I need to heal more from myself. And that just creates a vulnerability. And starting with that in partnership where you get to bring your heart. And even if it's the same pain, there's a lot of times that we have a lot of the same core wounds but then we can really get to know the person that we love in that, in the deeper, most intricate way. And what I love about this work specifically is, is that when we first started learning it, the people who taught it to us sat us down and they said, this isn't about you guys staying together. 
This is about having healthy relationships with everyone that you're with. And if it's not a healthy relationship you're in, we don't want you to be in it, but it's about creating those with every person and the quality of your communication, the quality of your life. We're limited to communicating with others as well as we can communicate with ourselves. So this is really opening up that love and that communication with ourselves, so that we can then share it with our partner to create this foundation of trust and vulnerability, which is, just a nourishing bed for any relationship to thrive in. Right. Thank you so much for sharing that. That, that was <laughs> awesome. That was a long answer. Well, imagine, <laughs> right? Imagine a world where we, everybody took a hundred percent responsibility for their emotional experience yeah. and not yeah. even just in partnership, but in friendship, in family, in brotherhood, in sisterhood, we were able to come together and say, here's what got activated in me, right? And that language there is very specific for a reason and it's particular because what we don't want to say is, um, you triggered me because once again, we're putting the outside experience and making that the reason for our trigger, but it's not, right? It's how we perceive it, how we, what, what the meaning we make about it is. That's what creates the trigger. And so it's not you triggered me, it's I got triggered or that activated me. And now, now, right, I'm having to still take that responsibility over it was my perception of that, my reaction of that, that caused the trigger. And trust me, even that is triggering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It takes a lot of like, oh, okay, let me eat this. This is mine. Um, as you were talking about before, it's probably the last thing you want to do when you are activated or triggered. Um, and what difference have you noticed that make in your relationship since doing this practice? The master. Well, we just celebrated four years of marriage in September. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, go. I love, I love analogies. Um, it really feels individually and as a couple, uh, like it used to be before, like we were standing in like the eye of a hurricane mm-hmm. and, and all the emotions and everything was going on around us. And we were kind of huddled really close together. And then it was just all going. And if we reached out because our ego wanted, no, 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 not that. Then we'd get whipped out in the middle of it. And we'd really be banged up around like this trigger, that trigger, this trigger, that trigger. And the more that we've done this work, we've kind of created a larger eye. And we've created room to actually function and all the stuff is still going on, but it's not like, it's not suffocating. There's mm-hmm. a complete acceptance of it all because there's beauty in all of it. It's not like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's all divine or none of it is. And mm-hmm. it really is. It's all divine, even the pain, because the pain is attached to the beauty. And so it really is a, a complete acceptance and an allowance. And, and almost like the cold plunges in certain ways, it's like going in and embracing certain aspects of pain and walking into those aspects and then, and then really finding ways to be articulate and, and be able to dance through life in the, the center of it. But the more that this work is done, it's kind of like a, like an old map. And each time we do this work a little bit, the map opens up and then the kingdom becomes bigger. And then we do it again. The kingdom becomes bigger, very similar, like an old Zelda video game, but it's like the kingdom becomes bigger. And then you have more that you can go around to and it's limitless Mm -hmm. and we're just creating more awareness Mm -hmm. and we can't change what we're not perceptive to. So it's just more awareness and more awareness. And it's just, what role do you play in supporting each other through moments like that 
and how does that, sh what does that look like? Because mm -hmm. I understand the, yes, take full responsibility and ownership. And it takes two to do that. And, um, at the same time you're in partnership. And so how do you support another when they are getting triggered? What does that look like? Mm. You know, I think there's still a really delicate dance that we're finding because, um, every couple, at least in my understanding of it, as I've done this work and I've seen other couples do this work and have been in community where this work is being done, we all kind of have our own unique dance mm -hmm. that happens when we get triggered and the roles we play in those scenarios and those situations. And actually Scott and I recently, um, this was in December, we had a really beautiful solo journey, um, just the two of us here. And we um, found ourselves in a, in a scenario where we were reverting back to the parts that we typically play when each other gets triggered. And, um, you know, Scott had sort of stepped into the victim role for a moment. And I was having to sit with the discomfort of feeling like I did it wrong, you know, <laughs> fucked up, was not doing enough. And I watched, it was interesting because the medicine was like, you've got to sit with what is, right? He's allowed to have his experience, but typically what I'll do in our, our dance is he'll, he, he might revert back into victim. And then what I'll do is I'll not want to sit with the discomfort of feeling like I messed up, right? And so then I will lash out as a means to almost like take back control right? I have a shadow of control. So take back control of the situation, which then makes me always the perpetrator and him always the victim. And so we'll mm -hmm. do this dance until one of us is willing to kind of lay it down. And it's typically him first, <laughs> I will admit to that. And, um, and then really decide to come together and have the conversation. Um, but how we, how we're learning to support each other, I should say, because it, it's a refinement process, I would say at this point mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is to first and foremost, create security and safety in the relationship. So that might look like, and that's really big for me because I have a big abandonment wound. And so if we just peace out for a second, then I'm like, oh shit, is this level nine? Is this level? Mm -hmm. like, I don't know <laughs> right. how serious this is. So this is a beautiful practice. Yeah. So I might say something like, I'm really triggered right now and I'm recognizing that I need to take some space to regulate my nervous system. I love you. I'm not leaving you, but I need to step away. And we really had to learn to respect that boundary for each other because even Scott, right? May. So <laughs> and she's like, I need my space. I'm like, you just said the last word. <laughs> or vice versa, Scott may need space because he also knows that there's a limit, right? And a level that he'll get to before that lid pops off. I'm more like, let the lid pop. Let's, <laughs> let's, let, let's, let's box this out. Right. And, and oftentimes we've also had to create some really beautiful boundaries around, um, 
asking for the permission and consent piece. Huge. Do you have the capacity to hear me right now? Mm -hmm. um, because that's another big thing too. Oftentimes we can want to rush to fix it or rush to make it better or rush to solve whatever's happening. Um, and so really, again, creating the safety of like, I love you and I'm not going anywhere. This is, and then stating what you need, right? So this is what I need. I need some time and space to myself. And then the other person really respecting that, which requires them to sit with whatever's coming up for them around that, right? So yeah. for him, it might be, he has to sit with the discomfort and the layers of abandonment and his, his abandonment wound. So me, he may have to sit with that and vice versa. We may have to, I may have to step away or I might have to sit with him wanting to step away. Yeah. And then, and then in those moments being like, okay, how can I respect that and respect myself? Um, but yeah, just let's keep on going. I have no idea. We lost Kevin. Um, <laughs> next stop on relationships. <laughs> We're back. We're back. Awesome. Okay. Yay. Uh, yeah. Sorry about that. No worries. I forget um, where you left off. I forgot too. That's all right. Yeah. It's okay. Cool. Well, those are, those are our processes and how we support each other in um, just really creating the 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 safety to even do the trigger work. That's right. And mm -hmm. and when the space is asked for a practice that I've learned for myself, because it's really hard to be intimate with that discomfort is to allow for the discomfort. And that's where I really utilize the breathing exercises. And I use my journaling to be like, where is this in my body? How am I feeling it? And how can I actually make this an active conversation with myself where I can understand where certain feelings are residing within me mm -hmm. and how I hold them and how, because at that point in time, it's I, sometimes I don't feel like fucking dancing or moving my body to like move the emotion or like channel it in some way. So it's yeah. like how to do that. The most basic way is just laying down and letting the breath work, take the air, flush it through the system. Like literally just give yourself an oxygen dopamine hit to, to let everything through. That's awesome. So I know, I know this story, but I, I want the listeners to know it because y'all have an amazing story of how y'all got connected in the first place. And I know a lot about what got you to where you're at now and some of the tools, but like, how did y'all meet? I want to, like, I want to document mm. that story. Do you want to start it? Okay. Are you going to jump in this <laughs> <Yes>. time? Okay. <laughs> okay. So in another chapter, it starts with you anyway. Okay. Yeah, it totally does. <laughs> it starts with us. It starts, it starts with, you know, what I mean. um, in another chapter of our life, we both were actors and lived in Los Angeles, lived there for, you lived there for 12, 15 years. Mm -mm, like more like, 10 or 11. Okay. I was there for 19 and, uh, we both went to the same acting school, Playhouse West. Different decades. Yeah. And, uh, and then there were some acting teachers, uh, Tracy Pellegrino and Mark Pellegrino that became really close friends and were coaches of mine when I was acting on Young and the Restless. Mm. Fast forward to finishing acting because of the end of a relationship and then transferring into a career of service. Um, I was going to school to become a nurse and I was leading horseback riding trails in Agora Hills, just north of Los Angeles. 
Mark and Tracy came out riding because Tracy is an avid horseback rider and Mark is an amazing husband. <laughs> and they came out and they said, hey, this is our last night of our 12th night play that's going up at Playhouse West Studio 2 in North Hollywood. You should come see it. And I was like, I'm going to be covered in horse shit. There's no way. And they said, oh, our photographer's in the middle aisle. We'll kick him out of the seat. You can come sit there. And so I came at the second act and saw the end of it and it was phenomenal. And they said that there was going to be a wrap dinner at little Tony's in North Hollywood. And, uh, I went there waiting for the crew and waited for like an hour because they were having a wrap party on the last night of a play. Cause Tracy is, we were having, we were getting notes notes on, on the, the last, last night of a play because Tracy is that good. And she wants everyone to be better all the time. <laughs> And so I ordered a pizza. I had a few beers. I waited, I waited. And then as I was walking out the door, the whole cast came in. So I kept the pizza. I sat down with, with Mark and Tracy and the entire cast. And, and there were some good actors there. And Scott was sitting at, so there were like three tables because we had such a big cast. And so Scott was, of course, sitting with the director and her husband, who was also starring in the play. Mm. And, um, and I had also one of the lead roles, but I was sitting in another table with the rest, you know, some more of the cast. And I, I just kind of remember seeing him a little bit out of the corner of my eye. And I was like, oh, that guy's kind of cute, right? Like I'm thinking to myself. And then some more time went by, we all finished our meals and we were all kind of standing up and talking, mingling. Some people were leaving, saying goodbyes. And he was talking to another one of the castmates. And I remember seeing him and thinking to myself, okay, this guy's really cute. I'm just going to go over there and make myself known. Now, meanwhile, I was in a two and a half year relationship at that point, but it was sort of, you know, th that's kind of a red flag. Like if you're, I mean, unless you're polyamorous or whatever, and you're that, that, you know, that realm, but if you're, if you're in a monogamous relationship, right, it's a little bit of a red flag. Um, and so, but I, I really wasn't thinking about that at the time. I'm just like, this guy's cute. Like, I'm just going to go over there and I don't know, say hi. And I walk over and, and I, I don't get starstruck. I don't like, if I see someone that's well-known, it's like, go up to them, compliment them. Mm -hmm. They're a person who cares about hearing how good they were. I was talking to this one guy, John, and I was like, I loved you and Danny in the deep blue sea and this other play you did. And it's just like, and then she walks up and she says hi to me. And I fucking turn into a second grade boy who doesn't know how to talk to anyone. And I was just like, hi. <laughs> She's like, hi. I'm like, hi. I said, so then we say hi back and forth for like, I don't know, maybe five minutes. And then Whoa. I noticed he's wearing these um, fry boots and we had the same fry boots. And I was like, oh, we have the same fry boots. And he, I remember clear as day, he leans back in the seat of this booth and he's like kicking his shoes up and he's like, oh, we have the same boots, like in total Scott fashion. If anybody knows Scott, you know exactly <laughs> like what I'm talking about. <laughs> and so he's like being all playful, right? And he goes, I, I, I wear them because I leave horseback riding trails. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. And then you thought, I didn't believe you. I thought no one believes you when you say that they're like, oh, they're trying to impress you. So I was like, Oh, I have, to, I have to make sure she knows and tell him the truth. Which is was totally an unconscious wound program of his running in the background <laughs> of his brain, right? Right. He just didn't know it at the time. So he runs out of his car, comes back in with not one, but like 10 business cards for oh not even God. his own company, right? Just for the, the company he runs horseback riding trails for. He's like, here, I have business cards. You know, and he's like fanning them out like, <laughs> like a deck of cards. I'm like, amazing. He's like, you should come out horseback riding. I'm like, yeah, that would be fun. You know, like kind of playing along. And then we just kind of kept talking. And yeah. for some reason, Scott thought that I said that I was leaving. 
I thought I heard her say that she was about to take off. And I was like, this is awesome. I'm going to meet her in the parking lot. And I'm just going to be, so I went to the, I just left. I just left. And I went to the parking lot and I opened my trunk and I was rummaging through my trunk for like 15, 20 minutes. I looked super fucking creepy in the middle of North Hollywood at like 11 o'clock at night. And I like, never came out. And she never came out. So I was like, I will just look really weird just being out here at this point in time. I'm going to go. And then on the way back to my apartment, I went on Facebook and found through the director's page, her page. And I just sent her a message that said, hi. <laughs> and then we exchanged back and forth. She let me know that she had a boyfriend. Well, it was really actually divine that I didn't go outside. I mean, if you talk about higher plan and God's plan, right? Had I gone outside, I might've had to tell him in that moment that I had a boyfriend, which he then may never have found me on Facebook. And we may never have connected after that. True. Moment, right. So there was also some, something so divine about the way in which this relationship came about. And so I remember getting that message from him and him saying, come out horseback riding with me. And I was like, I really need to just let this guy know that I'm in a relationship. You know, I'm like, listen, I have a boyfriend. He's like, bring your boyfriend. We can all go horseback riding. All I thought was she's super fucking cool and she's really talented. And if he's with her, there's eight people that can come out riding and they could be on the back of the trail. And I'd rather know more good people than not. Like, meanwhile, I'm like, I got to dodge this bullet because if I took my boyfriend with me, then he's definitely going to pick up on some attraction vibes happening, right? Like, this is a very yeah. sticky situation. So every weekend for the next, I don't know, eight weeks, he would message me saying, come out horseback riding today. I'm like oh, trying I... to dodge the bullet. I'm like, I can't. I'm sorry. I don't have time. I don't, right? And I would just try to dodge it, dodge it, dodge it. And then he kind of, you kind of slowed down a little bit. You stopped messaging and then you pumped the brakes. You were like, I didn't get the hint. And then I was um, trying to film a scene for a reel at that time. So in in LA, you create these acting reels where um, it showcases your talents, right? And so I had had hired this really talented DP, director of photography, um, who I'd worked with. I don't know if I'd worked with him before at that point. I don't think so, but he was through a, a connection that I had had. And he had this scene that he had written a long time ago that he'd never shot. And he's like, I think this would be a perfect scene for us to shoot for your reel. And we were going to do it on his rooftop in like almost downtown um, LA, not quite. And it had the uh, Griffith Observatory behind it. And you could see the rolling hills and it was going to be right at sunset. Yellow Steelers. And um, I was like, he's like, we need somebody who's got some credits. And I'm like, I think I have the perfect guy. And he was like, he needs to be attractive. I'm like, I think I have the perfect guy. <laughs> so I was like, I reached out to Scott because I knew he'd done, I like, looked him up on IMDb and I knew he'd done like, you know, Young and the Restless and he'd done uh, an episode on, um, what was that Orange County show? OC. The OC. <laughs> OC and <laughs> the Shield. Like he'd done like, see, he did some episodes. So I was like, oh, this guy's perfect. So I reached out to him and I'm like, hey, I know it's been a minute since we talked, but I'm just curious, you know, like, are you still acting? And he's like, oh, I don't know, here and there, right project comes along. I'm like, well, I have a script, I'm shooting my reel, and I just was wondering if you might want to play the other part. And Scott... And I was like, why don't you just send me the script? Yeah. Like, <laughs> playing it off cool, like, totally. yeah, like, whatever. <laughs> and, <laughs> what were you doing inside? In the back of my mind, I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I get the script, right? 
And the whole scene is on this rooftop between a guy and his ex. And the ex is telling him that he wants her, she wants him back. And then it ends with this kiss. Meanwhile, I'm going through a breakup. Her mm. name in the script is my ex's girl, my ex's name. And Whoa. so it's like this new girl that I'm like, yeah. And then it's my ex. It's like my psyche is like oh, really <laughs> messed up with this, but we did it very professionally. Like, we we agreed to this. We met at the director's place. We rehearsed it once the very first time. It's the only time we kissed. We rehearsed it other times very, very, very professionally. And then we got to the scene day. And I was so nervous because I was like, at this point, I'm like totally falling for him, right? Like mm. classic actor moment. And so I'm so nervous. He comes, he rises. I'm getting my hair and makeup done. I'm like... You know, like trying to avoid eye contact and he's so looking so good. And we get up on the rooftop. <laughs> we get up on the rooftop and we shot it a couple of times. And there's this like kiss moment at the end where he just like dips me and kisses me. And it was like Ooh, fireworks were going off. Like it was like totally it was amazing. And so we wrapped. He he was like, called it, that's a wrap. And then Scott my car, car was kind of parked far away. Scott called, Scott drove me to my car and I was just about like one foot out of his door. And I'm like, do you want to grab a coffee? And it was like one of those just fork in the road moments. Like I could have gotten mm. out of my car, it's gone my own way, yeah. very, and, and never connected again. Right. And she was like, yeah, you want to have coffee? And there's like a low, there's a little Starbucks on the corner there and we sat there and we had coffee until we closed the coffee shop with Starbucks down. And it really was that moment for me really was like not having been awake then, but being awake now and retelling and reliving the story. Um, I think for this episode more in depth than most times we tell it, it, that really was like a soul whisper. It was like, mm -hmm. this is your person. You know, there was without knowing it, without hearing that there was some, intuitive nudge, not even being connected to my intuition at that point, but there was something, some slight whisper that if you're not really listening, you'll miss, right? That really had me stop and make that initiation. And we closed the coffee shop down and then you got up and abruptly left. It was kind of weird, but there's a backstory to that later on. <laughs> then we went to, uh, then I went home and then about two hours later, I get a call from Scott saying, do you want to meet up for drinks? Well, the backstory behind that was that my ex, who literally moved into the apartment complex next door. The one we to just her, did the scene about. Oh, like, my. She, after we finished closing out the coffee shop, said, hey, do you want to hang out? And so it, like, rattled me. And then I was like, oh. And then I went back to my place. And then I was going in this, like, what am mm. I, where, like, it was just this turmoil of, like, do I answer this? Do I answer this? And I was kind of just trying to ground. Now, if I look at it, it was me grounding into my truth. Yeah. Like, actually slowing down and getting out of this and getting into here. Mm -hmm. And then I called one of my friends, and I, I don't remember who I called, but I asked, and I said, when's too soon to ask someone if they want to have a drink? They're like, usually you wait a few days. I'm like, I'm just going to see if it's right. And so I just reached out and uh, I was like, yeah, sure. So it went from closing down a Starbucks to then meeting at a bar in North Hollywood, closing that down. Yeah. No vacancy for anybody who's listening from LA. Yeah. Uh, was it no vacancy? No, not a vacancy. No. What was it called? Uh, no, something though. Right next to the studio too. Uh, shoot. If it comes to me, I'll, I'll, I'll think of it. But, um, yeah, we hold on. Lucy. 
Dog? Sorry. Lucy's drinking water. Oh. We're just making sure the sound's good. That would have been loud. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So we closed down the bar. And then from there, we just started kind of dating. I mean, it, well, we weren't really dating because I was still in a relationship at that point. And a mm. few weeks go by, we're kind of hanging out as friends. And he's going to go to the Harvest um, Music, Harvest Country Music Festival in Las Vegas. It was the year before that shooting had happened from mm. the wow. um, Delano Hotel. Mm-hmm. And um, he was like, come with me. And I'm like, listen, if I'm going with you, I'm definitely going to sleep with you. And I'm still in this relationship. So remember back in the beginning of the story, I'm still in that partnership. And so I said, I'm going to stay behind and I'm going to end this relationship. And he mm. said, and I was like, I'm, I don't, I don't want to be a rebound guy. I don't want to be that guy that you rebound from. And don't break up with him for me for is me. actually what he said. I'm sure it said, it, I said it just like that too. <laughs> <laughs> But what she said was so profound. She said, what I have with you is different and deeper for me than it is from what I have with my boyfriend. It it might be with you or it might be with someone else. But for my soul, that's the deep connection I want. And I'm not going to sacrifice and go for anything less than what I deserve. And I know I deserve that. Yeah. And you've really shown me that there's something more out there for me. So whether this continues down that path or it doesn't, you've given me permission to, to want more. And, um, I remember our first date, you took me to Don Cuco's in Burbank, it's this little hole in the wall, Mexican restaurant with these like red booths and it's dim lighting and, and, you know, like, um, painted glass. Right. And, um, we're sitting there and we drop, we sit down in the booth, we're sitting across from each other. And I looked right into his eyes and I said, I've known you before. And I said, do you know what I mean when I say that? And he said, yeah, I really do. And it was this moment where our souls saw each other again for the first time in this life without even knowing it, without even having done plant medicine, without being awake, right? Yeah. There was this deep soul connection. It's like making me want to cry. I am too right now. <laughs> There was this deep remembering, like an ancient remembering of who knows how many lifetimes we've traversed together. And what relationships and like what the partnerships have looked like. And it's just like my soul knows that I've been her guardian before and that we've done this dance and we've shown up for each other and we've supported each other. And it's just like that's our job is to to love and to support and to to traverse this life together. But we really came back home to the remembering of that sacred partnership and um, and that's really where it all began. Wow. <laughs> the long and the short of it. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love that story. It's like the <laughs> second time I've heard it, but I still like, oh, what's next? Even though I know what's next. <laughs> uh, have us back on and we'll tell you our uh, proposal story. <laughs> I mean, I, we got time. <laughs> I'm serious. If, if it's, if it's that good. It's Is another good? long one. It's a long one. Is it? Okay. I think so. All right. <laughs> I want to hear it. I want to hear it. Come on now. You can't leave me on a cliffhanger. Do you, do you know the actor Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad? I know. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. He, uh, so he wrote this book called My Life in Parts. 
And in that book, he talked about how if he had lines memorized or lines from a character, he could do those. But if it was his own emotion, sometimes it was really hard for him to say them to someone when he was looking them in the eyes. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, my God, that's perfect. That's me. And we were planning a trip. We were going to, to Italy and we were in Paris for a few nights. And I was like, okay, this is, we'll be in a, I made, I called ahead and made sure the place we had, cause it was a, a boutique hotel that our room had a four claw bathtub. And mm. I was like, I'm going to be naked in a bathtub, like massaging her. And then from her back and I'll be like, what are our plans for Cinque Terre? Well, what before are our you plans? get there, okay. we arrive in Paris. And all I want is a glass of rosé and a basket of french fries. I mean, I'm in, like, Paris, for God's sake, right? And he's dragging me all around the city looking for bubbles for a bubble bath. I'm like, you don't need bubbles. We got a bath. We're good. This is ridiculous. And he's, like, looking up all these places. Like, it's imperative he got these bubbles. So I'm like, all right. Because it well, covers up Because I'm putting the ring around my the toe you of my finger. You the ending. <laughs> It's part of the story. I know. Okay. So we go to this amazing dinner at this restaurant in Paris. And like, it's like totally classic, right? The bartender's out in the middle of the street, smoking a cigarette. Nobody's anywhere to take anybody's order, but everybody's happy because they're drinking rosé. You're half inside, half outside, eating mussels, snails, all the things. And on the way home, we pick up another bottle of rosé because we're just in that, right? We're just like in the bliss of, of being in Paris and traveling together. And we're, this is the start of a 16-day trip around Europe mm. and starting in France and then heading to Italy in a couple of days. And we get back to the hotel and Scott's like sets up this kind of sexy boudoir photo shoot in this bathtub with the bubbles, right? With all bubbles going, all the things. And I've got like the drunk eyes, right? I'm like, I'm trying to look sexy in the boudoir shoot, but I'm like... It works. It works. It works. It works. So he gets in the tub and he's sitting behind me and he's massaging my back, right? Mm -hmm. And holding me. He's like, God has kind of got his arms around me kind of tight like this. I don't want her to spin around. I'm afraid of her (laughs) spinning around looking at me. I was trying to hold her. (laughs) Not like, not like hold her like, like, like rodeo style. Just like, just love her. Just a little squeeze. But don't turn around. So then I say, what are your plans for, what are our plans for Rome? What are our plans for Cinque Terre? And then I was like, what are our plans for the rest of your life? And in my mind, I have this thing picture where it's going to go so beautifully. I have the audio recorder on my phone over there because I want to hear this later. <laughs> and I'm just like, obviously, I know not to take a video. <laughs> and and she's like, what? what, what? what? And she's like, she flips. And she's like, no. There was no holding you back. No, 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 so no, 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 no. Straight eye to eye, and I'm like, no. What are you doing? What are you doing? No. No, no, no. No. This is not happening like this. This is not how I wanted it to go. And I'm like having a total fit. On on the recorder, I think it has 28 no's. That's what I heard. <laughs> the first response I got was 28 no's. And you can't. It's that's like, not a telltale you, sign for our partnership. She's like, you could do this in front of the Eiffel Tower. You could do this. Do you know how long the rest of the And I'm just hearing this. And all I could think in the back of my mind is, I'm committed. The fucking, the fucking yeah. ring is on my toe in the water. Like, she's, it's right next to her. And I'm like, honey, of course. So he's like, okay. I, I, we, Got we, it. We can stop. We can just. We no, can we're slow. Yeah. Slow moving. And I'm like, okay. Like, I'm like taking a breath. And he goes, will you at least rub my feet? I'm like, sure. Anything. Anything other than this conversation, right? So he hands me. The, the foot. 
And I pull it out of the water and I'm rubbing it and there's the ring and it's on his <laughs> pinky toe. And I'm like, oh my God, this is happening. This is happening right now. So I'm like, you need to get out of the tub and get down on one knee and propose to me like, like a, you should. Like a gentleman. That's like, yeah, so Scott jumps out of the tub, but naked. And he's like, I'm on both my knees. Please marry me. Right? And I'm like, She said one knee. One knee. One knee. One knee. <laughs> one knee. And to her degree, her, her, her like spirit knew better than don't bow down, be yeah. a respectful gentleman. So yeah. he got yeah. down on one knee and you. That wasn't it. Not yet. I don't Because then that. she's like, not that isn't good enough. Go out of the room, come back in, oh then God. get on one knee. So then I went out of the room and then I don't freak much. I mean But I did it. I did yeah. it. So he comes back in, he comes back in, and he's on one knee. And I remember you just holding my hand and just saying the most beautiful things about our partnership and mm. the future of our partnership. And I just start crying, burst into tears, and I'm like Yes, I'll marry you. Of course, I'll marry you. And um, and it was so beautiful. We were up to like three o'clock in the morning, FaceTiming our our family. And oh. mind you, we're in a small boutique hotel. And we're being loud, loud, celebrating our engagement. And so we actually get a knock on the door from the hotel staff. <laughs> and I open the door, and I'm I'm not naked, but I'm wearing like something on the bottom. He's and like, "Sir, you're being loud." I was like, "Sir." You're being loud. I'm like, we just got engaged. He's like, you're being loud. I was like, wrong answer. <laughs> Slam the door in his face. Mm, this is before we did any of that trigger work that we were yeah. used to Before we were introduced to the five steps and didn't know how to handle our shit. Oh, shit. So the next morning we had this note in the front of our door from the room next door to us that had a mother and a daughter that were Americans that were telling us that we ruined their trip in Paris and that were the reasons that Americans have a bad name and that we hope we're proud of our, hope we're proud of ourselves. I wanted to keep the letter. She's like, don't keep that negative. That's bad energy. juju. So I got a picture of it because it's worth keeping at least somewhere. <laughs> and then we went back and we went to the front desk and we were like, okay, who, who was the gentleman last night? That's not the way to treat him. Here's a tip for a that gentleman. Tip, yeah. And then for the woman and her daughter, I'm like, you know who's next door to us? Cool. We're going to send them a box of chocolates and just a note and apologize. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's anyway, wild. A great story with a funky ending, but yeah. nonetheless, it's, it's, it was all part of it. So, yeah. That's amazing. I haven't heard that story. <laughs> I'm so glad that you shared it. <laughs> like, I'm like, of course, that's how, that's how Scott did it. I, I don't think it could go another way in my head. I gotta know how it could go, but that's yep, that would be Scott. It's awesome. I just love it. Um Well, to wrap up, this has been an amazing episode, and I just want to say thank you all for joining. Um You've you talked a lot on on actual tangible things that people can do with the trigger work. Um what other just tips of wisdom would you have for Anybody looking to build a healthy relationship or mm. somebody looking to call on their partner. Um, yeah. I just want to give you the floor to kind of share from the heart, any mm. tips, advice, tenants you live by. 
First thing that comes up for me is, especially for those of you calling in partnership, pour into you first, tend to you first, fall in love with you first. I know that wasn't necessarily our path to partnership. So know that it can be done in any which way that it presents itself, right? Stay open to listening to the whispers of your soul and how they want to move you and guide you. And when you create the opportunity to really love yourself, you're giving your partner, your future partner, an opportunity to truly meet you there Mm -hmm. in that space. And I would say that if you are not bringing all of yourself in an honest fashion to the relationship, then you're not authentically being in the relationship. And it's a really good remembrance to know that in relationship, it's a chosen place in which we get to heal our frayed nervous systems in our relationships. And that it's a choice. Mm. Like it's an active choice. And so to keep those relationships healthy, one of the few things that I see a lot of people don't do is cherish the relationship and to woo and that the dating phase is never over. Mm. Like the dating phase is never over. Mm -hmm. And if you make sure that you keep that attention towards that, if you make sure that the person every single day knows that you love them, that you respect them every day, I sometimes miss a day, but I always let Emily know you're my best friend. Mm -hmm. I love you more than anything. You're like, you're the sexiest woman in the world. And it's an honor to go through this life with you because that can be easily forgotten. And then it's not just that, but it's also why, like you are beautiful. Why? And bringing up all the reasons why, because it's the more that we cherish each other, the more we're going to cherish ourselves because we're just recycling that beauty into ourselves and that partnership. And, um, yeah, I would say also just not being afraid to know that it all starts with literally looking at ourselves, and if we're activated then to go within. Yeah. I love that. Thank you all so much for joining. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having us. Love you, sir. Such an honor.